Hello and welcome to one <laughs> table. What are we welcoming to? Where are we? Hello and welcome <laughs> to episode 158 of The Game Pit. We're laughing because this is the 948th time we've tried this. And uh, yeah, I'm Sean. And I'm not allowed to mention my co-host name because apparently it's I'm a secret. too much. No, it's a secret. I'm going to say it. No one's going to know today. So there you go. No. I am a mystery reviewer of modern board games. Travelled through time. Why no. don't sound affect me? Do it while I'm talking. <laughs> that- <laughs> what are we doing today, mystery man? Wow. There are going to be some reviews of some mystery. <laughs> you know, we're going to do some reviews, as usual, in these episodes. And we've got eight games we've been playing. And these are some of the hotter games. They're like the whole raft release at the end of 2020 that clearly publishers have been holding on to, hoping to get out of cons. We've started to hit that hotness. We've had time to play them and, and form some opinions. And some and of the weirder games that have come out. <laughs> That may also be true. Don't pick on my games. I'm thinking about one of mine as well. What's what's my word, Sean? What's my word for the week? Situational. Situational. That might come up more than once in my reviews. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you poised? I am poised and I'm ready, Roger. Shall we crack on? You said my name. Ah, oh, no. I am poised broken. and ready, David. <laughs> <laughs> or brother-in-law <laughs> Richard <laughs> my second name <laughs> that's why I chose Richard <laughs> alright David oh because it's your second yeah, name oh, oh that took me a while to get that <laughs> right Sean David where shall we go <laughs> off at your first review please marvellous oh we should probably mention we're going to talk about kickstarters and games that have come and gone at the end of this these eight reviews because you got confused <laughs> In the, fir- in the first one, I, I decided to flip it on his head and Ronan just couldn't live. Flip a it. He couldn't live with that live shenanigans. No, and thank you for allowing me to get some Blazing Squad on the podcast because <laughs> it's, not, it's not often I can. But the only thing about them is that they're a squad. Are they a squad? Yeah, and the only other thing about them is they're bleeding. Are they bleeding? Oh, <laughs> wicked, it's good to man. know. It's good to know. Do you know what else is blazing? I don't know if it is, but... I'll segue in. God, God, what's blazing? Kingdom Rush Rift in Time. <gasps> oh, that's a terrible thing. Well, I, Kingdom Rush is in the hotness it is. for the standalone sequel. It's on Kickstarter. Right now. Right now. It is. So this is the one that came out in 2020. And Kingdom Rush, I've got the name written on another page. We'll get to it later. <laughs> the other Kingdom Rush game is on Kickstarter. So, you know, they might, they might like the sound of what you hear. You might not. Let's see what I'm going to say. It's designed by Helena Hope. Sen Fung Lim, Jesse Wright. It's for one to four players, about 90 minutes per game, although it is a campaign game, so you can string games together if you want to. And it's published by Lucky Duck Games. So Kingdom Rush, Rift in Time. I'm just going to call it Kingdom Rush for now. Let's do that. This is the one that's available. It's a tower defense game, and it's based on the very successful app, Kingdom Rush. Mm-hmm. Sean, any experience with the app of Kingdom Rush itself? Absolutely none. I kind of felt like you were going to well, say that. I, I've said it umpteen times. Umpteens. Mix about 12 things together there. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big tower defence type of guy. And yet you are a big tower. I am. So I'm bored of defending <laughs> myself in solidarity with your I'm, fellow gargantuans. I'm forever being pillaged and attacked. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell them. This is evidence. <laughs> we had a deal. So no, neither, I'd never played Kingdom Rush either. So I downloaded it. 
for the sake of being a good reviewer. Oh, you, the diligent... Keep talking, Joe. Tell me. Tell me how good I am. <laughs> Not very good. Okay, I've got it on the Switch. And I was really enjoying playing it. This is, we'll talk about the app for two seconds here. It's a town events game. You've got to be really active with your hero. So you're building the towers. There's waves of enemies. But you actually are active with a hero. And you've got to use your hero around the place. That's your attack. You're actually doing stuff at the same time. Right, yep. But it had an annoying thing. You know, like, I, I would like to do each level perfect before I move on. Yeah. You can't. Because you earn like in-game currency that gives you unlocks that makes your towers better and stuff. Right. So you can only compete each level to a certain level because you just haven't got powerful enough stuff. And you've got to play through and do it like one-star success. Then go back and improve your two-stars to a three-star success. And it's got that false equivocate where you, you can't be very good at it until you've played it more and failed. And then it's not my favourite thing. So it doesn't sit in well with your OCD. Yeah, completely. You know that. It's oh, another three stars. I'm not going to mission four. I'm not doing it. Uh, but yeah, so there you go. Right, that's about the app. Loads of fun. I didn't really like the system that they implemented. Similarly to the app, in Kingdom Rush Rift in Time, the board game, you control a hero. Each player gets a hero. Each of the heroes have got different powers that they're going to use mm-hmm. in order to defend basically a map and they've got health which they have to protect otherwise if you lose all your health you're not out of the game but you're knocked out for a while mm-hmm. and you can take your time to come back and you're going to be moving your hero around what is and it does get slightly bigger through the campaign but a very small board Sean yep and that starts off with in terms of a tower defense game and an app you think it might be quite expansive in a campaign game I was kind of expecting playing on a big map and each time you play more and more towers and more and more area. But this is all very small and limited and very spatial. There's only a few spaces in play at any one time. Mm-hmm. True. I expected it to be a lot bigger, Roman. When it was uh, laid out... <laughs> Said the actress to the bishop. So when it was laid out on the table, it, 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 there was loads of components everywhere, but the actual game space was was quite small in comparison. So there's loads of bits and pieces everywhere on the table because you left it out, and I made you a nice little little message, abusive message. You on the did table. in the polyominoes. We're going to get to them. <laughs> um, I expected it to be a lot a lot bigger. And stop breaking grander. into my house, by the way. Stop breaking, breaking into my house. Ah, sorry. Right, I couldn't help it. So. You look at it and you're like, okay, this isn't as big as I thought it was going to be. What's the catch? So there are ways of enemies, as normal, as you'd expect, and they come on cards on trays that move down these short paths and they move one or two, so depending on how quick they are. And it's semi-random. So for each scenario, it tells you to pick certain cards out of certain levels and certain colours. Mm-hmm. But there's not that many. When they come out, what these cards have got are there will be a grid... Right, and there'll be squares on there, and enemies will be covering one or more of the squares in the grid, but the whole grid won't be covered. And this is where we're talking about the polyominoes comes in, because via the use of your hero's powers, or the different towers you can build, as you'd expect in a tower mm-hmm. defence game, there is a, a, an economy going on where when you kill monsters, you, you earn crystals, you can spend them to, put, to buy towers. When the towers go out, what they do is they shoot in particular directions and in particular configurations, polyominoes. Yes. And via the use of your hero's powers and the towers that you've chosen to build and the direction they're going in, you're going to try and use these polyominoes for each of these cards of enemies to try and cover all the enemies on each card. It's only once all of the enemies on a card are covered that that is defeated. Now, what that brings to me, Sean, is, is this spatial aspect is multi-layered and at the real heart of Kingdom Rush. Where your hero is in terms of their location on the board is where they can affect. 
the enemies, the layout of the enemies in the roads, and then also how you use the polyomnos from the towers. Yeah. And they're all... You're doing a spatial puzzle, but there's many aspects getting pulled together to do this. Yeah, and it, that also feeds into what polyominoes you get from the towers because you can upgrade the towers and you can get you can get better polyominoes that are better suited to, to tackling the the issues but it certainly is i think at its heart well at its heart it's a tower defense game because that's what you're doing the, the baddies are moving through a, a, a channel and you, you you set your towers up to defend them but then i think Almost equally, it's the polyomino's game as well. Because most tower defence games, you'd be like, oh, this does two damage, or this does fire, and you're looking at where the towers shoot, not how they shoot. Yeah. And how they're hitting things doesn't often come into play. So they've chosen a, a very interesting way of doing but it. They've done that, I think. To, like, So when you upgrade a tower in a, in a computer game, it'll go from shooting bullets to shooting lasers or something, or to shooting or laser bullets. Or laser bullets. <laughs> or fireballs or something. So to replicate the increased power, they had to think of a way of doing it. And this is I just haven't up. seen it done like this before. No, no, no. I think they've done it very cleverly in terms of... That tower is now upgraded. And got the hero's powers and stuff like yeah. that. Saying, you generally create tiles to play. What Sean's talking about there is that you start with a certain number of towers. You can buy them with crystals you earn by defeating enemies. But there's two things you can do with towers on your turn. You can either put them into play in order to defeat the enemies that are on play. And you have to defeat enemies quickly as they come in. You can't let them run and get them later because it's such a small map. And they will push each other along. And very quickly, they'll fall off the end. As each enemy falls off the end, any enemies that are alive left on the card will damage the kingdom, too much damage to the kingdom, and you're dead. Mm -hmm. There are also different types of enemies quickly, the ones that make them go quicker, ones that will heal all the damage on there. There are large enemies that you have to cover all at once and stuff. Right, anyway, the towers, the two things you can do with them. You can use them. And you put them down. There are limited areas where each player can put towers down. You're given a building site or multiple building sites, depending on the number of players. Mm -hmm. And you can only the towers in your hand. Now, the reason you're worried about the towers in your hand because the second thing you can do with towers is you can hand them to another player. When you hand them to another player, they get the next level up of the towers. And when you're playing the start, there's three levels of towers, and you need to get up to the second and third level. But then you can get to the fourth level in certain scenarios as well, or quite quickly actually. And there's a real pull there on how many do I need to shoot right now to take these out so we don't lose, but how many can I possibly hold back to upgrade because that is definitely the best thing to do long term. That's one of the two main ways that makes it a cooperative game. And not I've got just, that written down. No, have you know? Yeah. And not just, well, you shoot the ones coming in from your side and I shoot the ones coming in from my side. So you've got that way where you have to sort of look at each what each other's got, discuss, well, I could really use this and then work it so that that person gets the card so that they can upgrade that particular type of tower. Or, and the other way is obviously working out Who's who's going to shoot what part of what enemy and who's not going to shoot and let them go and then and you've got that part of the cooperativeness of the system. Good word. <laughs> There's no such thing as an alpha player problem in a game, but this gets close. Could get close. I can see it being tempting for one person to solve the puzzle themselves and be like, use that tower, use that tower, use your hero there. I'll use this tower here and it's done. Isn't that the same for anything like this? But I think this is a bit. Because there's one puzzle and there's often not that many solutions to it, someone might click first. It's obvious you need to use that mage tower like that because that will cover that. Then I can use this power here and then we've killed it. And it's, you sometimes you have to wait for the other person to get to where you know they're going to have to get to. And if they don't get there, you're going to have to go, look, mate, I understand what you're saying, 
But if you just put that there and I put this here, then we'll kill it. And it's, oh, yeah, that's a better solution. There, there is a solution to this one. True, yeah. Because yeah. once you've got the puzzle out for the round, it doesn't randomise from there. No, no, you're right, yeah. There's no there's no dice rolling or there's no sort of flip of a card that's going to change how things are in the middle of the game. So, yeah, yeah, I remember. I like and I, the game that's sort of the opposite of this is like the dwarves. I've talked about dwarves before where things can go in multiple directions. So there isn't a correct way to solve the dwarves. Now you've got, you can have opinions, but it's very hard to have an alpha player in the dwarves. But yeah, you're right. I think, I think I didn't think about, about it being a problem or potentially a problem. I think it's because I played it solo before I taught anyone. So I was sitting there used to solving the whole thing. Yeah. And then I was like, and I, I was deliberately telling myself, don't go bearing, relax, take it well, easy, let people take their time. But that's, that's the conundrum, isn't it? It's that I see it. They don't see it. Do I say it and let us fail, or do I not say it? Oh, I will never let us fail. <laughs> I might tell you to think about your choices and come back with better ones. <laughs> right. There's a couple of ways in which you're you're particularly challenged. In a lot of the scenarios, but not all of them, there are portals that come along, and they require you, have, you to have certain level towers to hit them. Mm-hmm. And every tower that hits the portals will be destroyed. It'll be sucked in to help destroy it yeah, yeah. so that helps refresh things mid-game you can't mm-hmm. just build up build up build up get very powerful now i'm killing everything that's where it resets and also as you go through the campaign they both change the nature of the scenarios you're not just trying to last but also they give you certain challenges and they bring in bosses to play against to which you've got mega powers so they are constantly getting you to rethink what you do from game to game, as well as within so game. So that kind of brings me into one of the questions I have, because I I just played a couple of levels with you, the early levels, so I didn't see any of that develop. So I was just wondering, Richard, <laughs> do all of the scenarios work, and is there enough real variety in that box from what you've seen so far? So I didn't play all the scenarios. Uh, there are 10 within the campaign, and I got... It's a scenario five or six, somewhere around there, having played some of the early ones multiple times. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't take to all of them. I will say they do mix it up, but to me, the pattern was always the same, as in I am trying to solve this puzzle now. Now, there's a big, huge aspect to the game that is, to me, very unusual for a tower defence game. Someone might tell me I'm wrong. And is... The major factor to me as to whether people are going to enjoy this game or not, because the first place, right, now a tower defence game or co-op, are you going to enjoy that sort of thing? But here is the crux and sort of the USP that's going to put you off or not. All your towers are removed at the end of every round and they go back to your hand. So there is no constant element there. So when you build something up or put a tower in a really good position, it doesn't matter. It will come back to your hand. So it is very, very tactical. And you are having to deal with just the puzzle in front of you at the beginning of every single round of the game. The sense of progression comes from getting better towers, but they'll get killed by the portal. Mm -hmm. So you are constantly resetting and resetting, and you're going to have to enjoy the fact that this puzzle will be completely different next round, and then completely different, and then completely different. So that's, for me, when I did like tower defence games and when... When I, when I did find it, was when I felt super powerful and I felt felt like I was growing. You are. You are a powerful person, all right? I felt like you matter. I was growing within the game and well, you could see your progress. But, as, but in this one, as, you, as you've just said, that you're constantly having to reset and it's you don't get that satisfaction, maybe? I think this is progress comes from playing across the campaign. 
being given access to more powerful stuff. Uh, you don't start with access to spells. I don't think you play with spells. No, you get, but but the game tells you what you get access to. Right. So it doesn't particularly f- necessarily mean that you've earned them. You get to choose from a variety, but he, now you can have two spells. Now you can have the next level spells. Now you can have level four tower and this level four tower. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like earned progression. And like I say, I I don't think that's a good or a bad. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a personal tasting. And this is the first use of the word situational. <laughs> this game does everything it wants to do well. But you're gonna have to listen to what we said, or other people say who are much more eloquent than us. And and oh, does that sound like something I fancy or something I want to try? And if it does, go for it because they've done it well. But just beware. There is one thing I want to talk about before we sum up. Or you got any more questions? I've just got. Uh, I just want a little mention about the art. I think the artwork is absolutely beautiful. I think it's a kind of that cartoony quality. But Lucky Duck always produce beautiful art in their games now. I wanted to ask you, is it more uh, a Can I just cut in quick on that? Yeah, of course you can. Naturally, you're going to talk about the art, so we're just going to live up to our stereotypes. I'm going to talk about the rule book quick. I God. thought it was a good time <laughs> well, to no, this in. is to link in with the art and the, and the, the components. Oh, go on yeah. then. Hit me. So I was going to say, is it just the nature of a tower defence game that it's going to be quite fiddly? Because I, I found this one quite fiddly with the little pieces and putting loading up the trays and scooping the trays along and what have you. Is that just the nature of a tower defence game? I didn't find it that fiddly. No, I'll be honest with you. Although you couldn't, it's because you're constantly moving things all around a lot. Yeah. But I thought for what they did, the idea, I think they did it very clearly okay. and well. And I haven't found a tower defense game that isn't fiddly. Yeah, I think it'd be so basic. It's a difficult genre to put into board game. It seems like a natural fit, mm. but when you start trying to do it, I think you're trying to find simplifications of complicated systems. Well, that's why I was try- I was willing to give them a pass on that because it kind of felt to me like that most tower defense would be. A yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. I think I think they've done it well. Cool. What it is, what they didn't do well, what unfortunately was the rule book. Right, it's okay. a bit of a mare. It's you get it in a lot of these campaign games, and you're going to get it again in my next review. That they give you a rule book that isn't really a rule book, and they say go to the scenario book. And that will fill in the gaps, and it's a terrible way to teach a game or to learn a game. And then you don't have a reference book, yeah. Because if the rule that's come up in scenario six is the one that they taught you in scenario two, or in the back of beyond, or or over the other side of your mate's hill, you're in a bit of a mess. So, in terms of learning, given that it's a ninety minute an IP game, you can see people who are not necessarily that into board games playing it. It is a hard learn. You're going to want to watch a video really yeah. to get your head around just a few of the details and bits and bobs and how exactly that, even setting up your first deck and stuff. It's it's not always clear what you're supposed to be doing. So that one I think needs a bit of improvement. Hopefully the next King Rush has got a better one. Um, any final questions or thoughts, Sean, for a sum up on um, Kingdom Rush Rift in Time? For me coming in as somebody who's not really into them, I found it quite accessible, Ronan. Um, That's because I taught I, you. Because you taught me, yeah, because I didn't have to go through the rule book. But I found it quite accessible, and my overwhelming urge or thought about Tower Defence game is that they can be quite repetitive by their very nature, and it's one of the reasons I don't particularly like them, because I get bored of doing the same thing over and over again. Now, I know this is variants of the same thing, and the, the puzzle changed slightly, so it was never going to be exactly for me, but as a new person coming in, I thought it was actually quite entertaining. I quite liked like the plays that we had. I did feel the the sort of cooperation having to go around the table. I didn't really think about you. Probably did guide me quite quite a lot in the games that we had. No, <laughs> no, you wouldn't really like that. <laughs> but uh, I suppose a little question to you before you sum up is: 
who's it for? Is it for newbies into tail defence or is it for seasoned players of tail defence games? I think it can be for both. I think that seasoned ones are going to have to get on board with that funny lack of progression and the reset every time. And, and that, that is going to be the main factor for them. For newbies, they're going to have to be patient because I think they'll find it quite tough, especially initially. If you have a bit of experience in patchwork and stuff like that, it's going to be a lot easier <laughs> because if you've got that polyomino thing in your head, then I think it's much easier to find the solutions. I think if there's four of you sitting there and you haven't played a polyomino game before, you're going to be there a long time. And that feeds a bit into my summing up to most of you because I found that in the game you talk more than you actually do. You sit there and you, the, the puzzle comes out. You look at what you've got in front of you. You look at what else has got in front of them. And then you start talking. And you probably go through 20 different ways of dealing with something before you all come to an agreement and go, right, that's what we're doing. Yeah. And we'll go with it. So... To, I, again, I don't mind that at all. I'm, you might be surprised to hear I quite like talking. <laughs> but it's something to be aware of. So what they've done is, to me, they've tried to capture the very fast pace of the app. They've tried to do that without making it a real-time game, which I think Sean's going to appreciate and other people will. But they've done that by making it quick puzzle, quick puzzle, quick puzzle, quick puzzle. And though they're quick puzzles that don't last long, You'll be chatting about them for a while, and it's quite hard to find the optimum solution. So it, it's it, the pacing is the game goes quickly, you guys go slowly. The game goes quickly, you guys slowly. In a real time game, it's the game goes slowly, you guys go quickly. Yeah. So it, it's a very interesting way they reverse the pacing and the mm. structure of how to play a, do a co op game like this, but still have something that feels quick within it. So I, I really admire the attempt. I think it's a very good game. I don't think it's going to be for everyone. And basically, have a listen. If it tickles you, go for it, because it's a quality production and a quality game, and, and your brain really will be stretched by it. And that is Kingdom Rush Rift in Time. Beautiful. So, another one right up there in the hotness over the holiday period and into January and February is The Lost Runes of Arnak. Uh, playing one to four players, designed by Min and Elwin. I had to do a little bit of research. Apparently, they are a husband and wife team called Michael and Michaela. That's nice. There you go. And it's coming from CGE. So what is Lost Ruins of Arnak? Well, you are explorers, and you've found traces of a lost civilization, and you are going in there exploring it, looking for artifacts, and just generally... Seeing what you can find is a the real island of Arnak. On the island of Arnak, not a real island. It's a real Indiana Jones feel to this, uh, the setup and the way they've, they've worked the world. So, what this game does is it combines worker placement and deck building. So, the cards themselves have multi-use, and there's an icon that allows the worker placement, and there's also powers on the cards and resource collection on the cards. What you're doing in the game is you are exploring the island and you are buying cards which are equipment and artifacts and you're also working your way up a research track and that's basically where you're going to score your points by exploring the island working your way up the research track and there are some points on the cards that you buy but they are mainly during the game for for actually playing to either place your workers or doing certain things in the game i'm going to start off where i always like to start and 
I thought the art, the general presentation of this game was fantastic, um, and even the, the down to the components, you you get little arrowheads and little crystals and all sorts going on there. And it's functional, more importantly, sure. It is functional. It is both pretty and clear, and the components help you play the game. They do. And once you've got into the swing of what everything means, you look at it and you go, I know what that does. They've managed a multi-aspect travel system with icons that all make sense. Yes. Even a funny double-branch, four-tier boats and cars are not the same, but planes are everything and all that. And it all makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So I think they've done a really good job both in what you're talking about, it looks lovely, mm. and what I'm talking about, it works lovely. It works lovely. Eh? It does take up a little bit of real estate, but uh, in terms of the board, it's quite big. But I think everything goes on the board, which is a which is a, a plus in my book, because you don't have to have components all around Don't like it. a messy table. No, don't like a messy Man table. Man likes the Soda games, doesn't want components everywhere. <laughs> Goodness yeah. me. So there are lots of stuff going on around the main mechanisms, Ronan. Oh, I said it again. Oh. You did it before. And this, did I? Yeah. I said it twice now. Yeah. That's like three Three I've said. Yeah. Now, now that you're counting, you're realising how often you do it, aren't you? So if I go above my five limit, <laughs> I get told don't, off. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. <laughs> so there's loads of stuff going on around the engine mechanics. So you've got assistants, you've got idols, you've got rounds where the artifact cards become more... Have you even told them what the two different types of cards are? Let's do that. Okay, so there's equipment and there's artifacts. There's equipment. I did I did mention there's equipment and okay. artifacts. Okay, yes. And they go in your deck, but artifacts yes. come directly, use them immediately, but they usually cost you something. Whereas yes. equipment takes a bit of time to cycle through. Yes. And then they give you a power. And, but you get more equipment available, which will cycle around at the beginning of the game, and mm. then the thing moves along, and then you get more artifacts available as you go through, which That's are instant right. wins. Which is thematic because you're forging your way through the jungle and what have you. So you're leaving getting, the camp behind. Yeah, you're you're using up your equipment. You, that's getting less and less, but you will find in more and more artifacts. I hadn't thought of that. There you go. I think the clever thing about the card now they they both cost two different systems. One side costs gold, the other side costs the compasses that you would be using to explore. Yes, uh, rather so, than yeah. But what I thought was very clever is that there's only five rounds in the game. No matter whether it's an artifact or a piece of equipment, it's only going to come around rarely. You might see it twice. There's a possibility of seeing it three times, but no more than that. Which means that every card matters. Mm-hmm. Now, there's only a limited market, so it's not in terms of, oh, I'm going to sit here and wait for the perfect card. Yeah. But to me, what it felt like was that it gave each game its, its slight sense of uniqueness in that, oh, that was the game in which I, I got the fedora and the whip and the gun, and I was clearly Indiana Jones. Well, that was the one in which I got the cursed crystal that kept on giving me the bad fear card, <laughs> but also gave me the amazing number of arrowheads, which I then turned into a great research thing. And in a lot of you know deck builders, one you're going to mention later, I feel like you're probably buying whatever cards available was most expensive. In this one, I felt like I actually cared which card I bought. You definitely do, because you've got to fit that card into what you're trying to do, whether it's going up the research track, whether it's trying to explore as much of the island as possible. Are you saying there's two clear paths for the retreat points, Sean, <laughs> as I point to my notes? Two, it's 2.5, because you do get a few with the cards. But yes, there are two main, main uh, paths. So you're, you're exploring the island, and you are once you explore an area, a guardian is going to come along to guard that and you have to appease the guard. You don't kill them. You appease them. 
If you're with me, you say you tame them. <laughs> okay, well, they come <laughs> you, 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 you reach an understanding <laughs> with, with the Guardian if you're there at the end of the round when and the Guardian's still there and you haven't appeased it by then, but you still get to use the action, which I thought was really good. It's not They're not blocking you from the action. They're just saying, right, if you don't you sort of deal with them while you're there, you, you have to... You have a malice. You have a malice. So each Guardian is individual. You don't know what Guardian you're going to face. That's right. You don't know what action you're going to get when you explore. Mm-hmm. So that is in clear contrast to the research path because the research path, everything's laid out. There yes. are tiers that you go up. You get rewards. You've got two icons that, or two pieces that you move up. One has to be always ahead of the other one. As you move up, your first one will give you a certain reward. Your second one will give you a second reward. But you can see what the rewards are. You can see what the costs are. And you can plan your path out. That is the Eurogamer side of the board. It is. If you're a Eurogamer, play that. Again. If you're an explorer, <laughs> experienced, thematic, go and get, go and shoot the Guardian, get a random action, you don't know what it's going to be, and then work out what you can do with the things and you it, just And again, they've thought about all these things and they've, they've made them to make. Because obviously exploring is a journey into the unknown. And research, you know what you're reaching for. So... I think that was also very, very well done in a thematic sense. It's everything for everyone. It is. It is. Now, resources in this game, Ronan. Ah, oh, did it again. I do say it a lot, don't I? You do, really I do. Really do. Yeah. This is you trying not to say it. I know, I know. <laughs> I think you're just going to have to live with it. No. <laughs> I've got an idiot. <laughs> so, resources in this game are... I quite I, I liked the way that some of them were really scarce and hard to get and they were the ones that tended to unlock things for you. Whereas gold and compasses, they the, the lifeblood, your currency almost in the game. You could get access to loads of the gold and compasses if you channeled that way. There's a hierarchy to the resources. Yeah. There's a clear That's a, good way so a clear path where compasses and gold, then it goes to those tablets to the arrows, to the crystals, to the whatever. For me, and this is proper nitpicking, <laughs> there was maybe a step or two too much in there, where it started becoming, although you weren't swapping a colour of cube for another colour of cube, it felt like I was to me. Where I'm like, right, I've, I've got... I tended to go to the left side and explore more than do the research track, so I just wanted to have the crack and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. And then I'd end up with like, oh, what am I going to do with three arrowheads? I don't need them. Why actually need that? And now <laughs> three I'm arrowheads? Sort of, Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Rockefeller of the jungle. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, well, now I've got to turn these into something else for them to be of any use to me. Yeah, yeah. Even if I could have spent the more difficult ones or to get as lower down ones and they made the hierarchy even clearer, yeah. that would have made the exploration path a bit more viable to me because I feel like if someone plays the research track well, they will beat you even if you play the exploration track well. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I've written down is is the research track the, the, the most obvious way to win because you can see your path and at the top of the research track are quite a lot of points if you get up there. Yeah, if you get to the temple stuff, it's really yeah. It's, Another thing we've seen is I'm nitpicking. Cool, let's nitpick. I, I have played it a few times and I've enjoyed it. I'm going to be giving this a nice, good rating here. This one, in order to stick around permanent for me, is going to need an expansion sooner than some other games that I enjoy as much as it. Because with them, I can see me enjoying them the same amount several years down the line. Mm -hmm. With this one, 
Limited shelf life sounds very harsh, and I don't mean it like that, but start thinking in that direction because now we're coming to play five, it's not feeling that different to play one and two, despite, yeah, there are some random draws and some different things happening in the cards, and I enjoy it all, but I want to see the lost tunes of Parnak <laughs> relatively soon. Quick question, have you played it more than two players or... In your, in your we played together. I never played this game with Did you. Did you not? No, I taught it to Rachel, who then who taught, taught it to me. Years. Yeah, I played it myself, Rachel and Eddie have played it. Did that change it at all? Because I did wonder having more players out there and more sort of competition for those spaces, would that change it? Not much. No? Okay, there yeah, we go. No, I did like, um, it gave you slightly more opportunity whereby someone might go and leave a Guardian at the end of a round and then the next round you go nick in and, and, and beat it up. Right. But it didn't change it massively for me. Okay. In direct answer to your... Not beat it up, appease it, sorry. Point. <laughs> appease it. Yeah, sorry. Um, in direct answer to your point, I think it will stay around a little bit longer for me. I feel like I haven't explored it as much as I want to explored yet. Explored it. <laughs> and I think, for me, I think I've, I'm a little bit... What's the better word to say? I'm, I'm Finding still words is almost the I know, I know. Yeah. It's almost, almost... I'm still, I'm still in love with it more than you are. I think. I knew you'd jump on it. Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't have coached my my comment in any gentler terms. You to tried, say. but I, I can see through you. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> I can't, and I'm gonna, I'm finishing off here right, before you, you read me anymore. It's a medium weight, just over an hour. Fantastic presentation with some discovery. It's very good. I have kept it, and it is very hard to get into my keeps. And I want to play it more. It is in our pile to be played more now because we're still enjoying it. And that's after five plays. It has got more plays in it. I am not done with it. I am keeping the Lost Ruins of Arnak. I like the game. It's a very good game. It is at the top end of games from last year. But compared to other games I like as much as it, I anticipate that it has got a limit on how many games are in there and I can see a lot of potential and I would like there to be even more maps or some more content or something to mix it up a bit more. So Trevor obviously hates it. So I, for, my, for, for me, I thought the, the blend of theme and the blend of different mechanisms was really, really well done and it made it, after a lot of games where maybe the theme didn't lean in as well as I want them to or the mechanics didn't bleed in as well as I wanted them to, this game kind of hit that sweet spot for me. You've got the theme, you've got the mechanics, the Euro side of me is happy, the Ameritrash side of me is happy, and for me it was it was a really nice blend. I'm, I'm still enjoying playing it, unlike Trevor, and <laughs> I just got punched, and I, I will continue to enjoy it, I think, for quite some time. I do take on board what you said. I think there is a shelf life for this, but for me it's uh, past the tombs and into the new undiscovered lands. I don't even know what that means. But okay. Neither do I. Saying Trevor six times is no less annoying than saying my actual name. All right, Morris. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> oh, look. I've done it again. This is where I want you. <laughs> Far away. Far away. So, we, my, my cohort is going to lead us into a rather strange little place. 
It's not straight. Come with me. Come with me. And you'll be. No one needs that. You're a better singer than me. Come on, help no, me out. No help one needs that. <laughs> so the third game we're going to talk about today is indeed Far Away. It is a two-player only game. It is two hours plus. It was designed by Alexander Jerebek, and it comes from Cherry Picked Games. You are a couple, whoever you may be. Cool. Two people, not necessarily a couple, but two people, who have signed up for a company that is doing cut-price galactic exploration. And this isn't far-future high-tech. This is quite low-tech, basic. We're going to put you in a metal tube and yeah. fire you at a planet that we think might be their exploration, on which you are going to crash land. Weirdly, that's my plan for you. <laughs> yeah. There's not enough petrochemicals on Earth to get me out of low orbit, right? Um, <laughs> you're going to crash land, and you're going to land on a hex, and it's going to be surrounded by six hexes, and they will be of different terrains. And you will be given a mission, and there is the basic mission of basically repair your ship and survive and report back to your findings when you take off. Or there are, as mentioned or hinted at previously, there are 10 different missions in which you can play through a progressing campaign that's not actually linked to each other. It's just that the missions mix up and some of the elements from earlier missions go into the next one. And there's a weird sort of bonus thing going on that I don't really know how it works very well. But So anyway, there are different missions you can do. (laughs) Key to all of this is that you are going to, from your start hex with your crash site, you're going to be exploring, getting more hexes into play. You're going to be looking for the different resources in the game. You're going to be collecting, harvesting, and running those different resources in order to build different facilities. Definitely always have to repair your ship. And also, once you've built facilities, start building up equipment in order to do whatever your mission may be. And it may be to to build certain buildings. It may be to find a cure to an issue. It might be to explore what's going on on this planet. But you do not have a radio. So... First off, the thing about this game is that there's a mechanic or mechanism whereby when you are not in the same hex as the other player, you cannot communicate in any way with each other. You can't point, you can't wink, you can't talk. Blessed relief for anyone who's ever played a cult with me. (laughs) You can only look at what they're doing in-game and you can see what they're doing with their own little board, their own little tableaus. They walk around these hexes and do things. And also, if you stay apart for too long, your loneliness will kill you. So after a certain number of rounds, you have to get back together again. When your loneliness will disappear, you'll survive, and you'll be able to talk about what's going on. And all those things you've been holding in may come out. Are you missing me? <laughs> Always. <laughs> come with me. When I heard about that mechanism, Ronan, I, I just thought of you. I thought, that is you all over. You love games where you can't communicate and... It, the theme of it blends in like that. I even told you about a game that's coming out, a NASA game, where some of you are oh, astronauts yeah. on the on the space station and one of you is mission control and you have to establish the connection <laughs> to be able to talk by doing things in the game. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Again, for someone who allegedly talks too much in co-ops, I love games where you can't talk so you get taken <laughs> out. So maybe I don't talk that much in co-ops. <laughs> it's... It's a real hook, right? That that is what I saw and went. Hold on, what you can't? And then when you're doing it, boy, is it? Like the first couple of games, you can't do it because you're you're kind of like no. <laughs> but both ways we've done. I've been playing this just with Rachel. Rachel and I've been playing it together, and it, yeah, and it's a real, real challenge. And also, to be honest, 
Uh, the rule book is pretty terrible, so we had to have those rule questions to each so other I've, anyway. I've just got this. I've not played this with you guys because it, the short time that we have together when I'm staying over, we just didn't have time to learn it and no. really get into it. So, But I've got in my head this, this vision of you moving into the same spot as Rachel and just, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? You needed to do Yeah, and 90% of the time, her going... Because of this, because of that, why didn't you do that? And then me going, oh, yeah, actually, it is me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're playing better than me. I'm going to be quiet now. Okay, here's the second hook. Yeah. It all sounds very Euro. You're on there. There's different terrains. They produce different resources. You've got to build something, blah, 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 blah. Every planet you land on is a unique dynamic system <laughs> in which there are eight different types of wildlife that can turn up. These wildlife are going to be more sedentary. They'll be den or they can be wandering ones. And then you do a random draw from a deck and then you get these chits and you fill them in and, and they are then going to start populating the board and they will come out again and again and breed. Each of these adult creatures has a picture and a descriptive and a set of icons that gives you an outline of what sort of creature they are. And then half your time at least is going to be spent playing the role of those creatures and reading the description of them and looking at what their base drives are and what food they're looking for and how they generally react to what's around them. And then you're going to be deciding what these creatures are going to do as them. That's going to be my first main question to you, Ronan. And that seems to be the biggest bone of contention in all the reviews and comments. Some people love that. And some people hate it. <laughs> it's really, it is, it is black and white. It, it's, it's dividing people down the middle. Do you have to enter this game with a certain mindset? Like, I'm going to have fun with this. I'm going to be creative with this and take away the sort of, the computer side of your brain where you're just seeing these things should move in a certain direction or should do this. And when there's some ambiguity in there, there has to be an answer. So... Yes to the first bit and no to the second bit. Yeah. <laughs> you have to embrace this. This is a huge part of the game is that you have to do these animals as these animals would behave. But there's no set rules. There's no wrong answer. So if you decide that's that animal and you're not cheating, you're not going, that suits us, then cool, that makes sense. You don't choose that that rodent charges that massive reptile that will eat it because mm. it wouldn't. <laughs> and if something is called an ambush... Uh, predator, leave it still. Leave it alone until someone wanders by. And then <laughs> we had these things that were like rats with scorpion tails, and they were the scourge of the game in one of So we just had this area. We like we can't go there because those things will run out of the caves they're living in and sting us. And you're really fragile in this game. You are not heroes. You are gobshites who have been fired off in the space in a tin can, and you can die really easily. You have to be careful. So you know you, you put you get into situations and I think there are like it is logical what they do you just have to look and assess what the logic is for each of them so we are like a rodent that usually reacts to something anything coming into its territory a different rodent but in this case something wanted its territory and every single time we had reacted to it it ran off and it burrowed and it, and it started eating metal and stuff but for this one it, that's actually just an insect that's wandered through there would a rodent react to a little insect not really yeah. so all right, they're not reacting to that one and it is that sort of a thing and it's just common sense and I can see gamers struggling with it because you want to be told these are the rules you're not these are the guidelines 
This is a flying predator that will follow its prey to the end of the earth and is massively aggressive. Roleplay that. It's not that hard. It's not like deep. You're not having deep and meaningful conversations when it comes to roleplaying. You're just following basic behavior drivers. Mm -hmm. And it becomes what would this meat eating plant that travels around deserts to soak up things do if a parasite got inside it? (laughs) You go, oh, it's a plant. So it's not that clever. So I don't think it's going to do anything about it. Right. But if this humanoid, shy, frog like frog man got a parasite in it, what actually? They're smart, so that's going to go to another one, which will spend its turn to pick it out, and then this one will stamp on it. You know, and then that, but, but that is part of giving you flavour yeah. to the whole yeah, game. Yeah, this is just a two-player game, right? Yeah, yeah. Strictly. See, I, I would love to see this as a, as a three or four because I think that people would have so much fun around the table. I'd be rowing. Because <laughs> <laughs> actually, to be honest, half the time when you get together, you're questioning. Because you take control of half the animals each, uh, right. and you're and so when it comes to that term, your next is you can't say anything, and they just move and they'll eat or they'll take damage or they'll they go up and you're like, why would you move that and that? To, why would it go that way? And the other person will be like, because that rodent was in its range and it says that it particularly likes that, and that thing leaves a smell. So I was like, it's going to go towards that smell, and you're like, oh yeah, well, I hadn't <laughs> thought of that. Another valid right answer, but yeah. So it's not just what you're doing, and all, but you've also got ways of interacting that you can domesticate animals, put them to work for you, or you can use their behaviour. So there was one set, one animal is like a sort of, I don't know, a, a piggy sort of a thing. But what it liked to do is go and collect resources and bring it to the nearest big creature and try and give it to them. And if that big creature didn't accept it, it would attack, it would go mental. So for us, it was really handy to have them on the board because they'd keep bringing us stuff and we'd accept it, but it would take it one year out and be like, yeah, your turn. Like, oh, yeah, well, thank you very much. We sort of felt like we're going, thank you, and it would run off and get another one. But then what would happen is, like, say, a wandering uh, carnivore would come into play and suddenly it would appear next to all the pigs and you're like, oh, no, all the pigs are going to die. And then you'd see this little piggy going up with this little resource to this carnivore and the carnivore, like, just ignoring it and the pig attacks it and then the carnivore just boom. You're like, oh, no, why? Why, piggies? No, and then the next one will just flock into its doom. And at what point would those animals learn that that creature is dangerous and stuff like that? It's Anyway, it is pretty Especially because you're intrinsically linked to pigs. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> deeply. So every planet feels different. Yes. And each combination creates stories. And it's not just the stories in what you're trying to do. That's what you're trying to do is usually quite basic. It's made difficult by what's going on around you. And they actually said in the rule book, you're not the centre of this story. This planet was here before you. It'll be here after you. These animals are not just reacting to you. They have their own... They react yeah, to each yeah, other yeah, as much yeah, as they react yeah. to you. And, and it, yes, but what it does force is sudden changes in the situation and sudden changes in behaviour where you think everything's predictable. I'm going to go off, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that because you've talked to each other. Mm. And then suddenly like, oh no, that's happening. What are we going to do? But you can't talk to each other. And it does become very funny. And like I say, you are fragile and within that, it creates funny situations. But within the game itself and the rule book and the setting, there's loads and loads of humour. And you are treated as a throwaway. And it's completely through that. Like, yeah, we could have sent you med kit, but that would have cost money, so we didn't. And there's that sort of thing, but it's much funnier than that and much yep. cleverer done than, than I can do it credit for. So, I th- well, I think we, we're getting a feeling for what your impression of this is. Right? And just before you do go into your last points or your wrapping up of the game, upkeep. Is there a lot of upkeep to this? Is it, is it manageable? Does it take away from the game? The game itself is really simple. 
really simple uh, mechanically. There's, there's very, it's whether you consider that movement of the animals to be upkeep or a big part of the fun. And if you see it as upkeep and it's a chore and you just want to get on with Euroing your mission and getting it done as efficiently as possible, there's loads of upkeep. If you see it as this is part of creating the story, there's very little upkeep. Cool. All right. I looked at it. In my eyes, it could lose a, a graphical and component overhaul. How did you find it? You're not as bothered by these sort of things as I am. It is small budget. Yeah. It feels small budget. The artwork, the only real artwork in it really is for the creatures and it's all sort of pencil drawings and beige and the rule book feels like it could have done with a proper editor but probably didn't have the money for that. There's not even a proper content to this with pictures so you're just kind of struggling to work out what's what, especially the fact that you've got to split the contents up because each mission has certain contents that are only for that mission mm-hmm. but working that out was a bit of a... A pain in the in the backside. So, uh, in terms of looks and content and rulebook, it feels like it's from a small publisher. You know, almost sort of homegrown sort of thing. So you do feel that, and component and graphical upgrade wouldn't harm it. But there's nothing to me that it's all playable and it all works and it's all clear. So despite the fact it's playing cards with a bit of writing on it, I don't mind that. But I can see that if components looking pretty is important to you, this is not going to grab you on that front. So, Ignatius, what's your what's your summing up of the game? Far Away is brilliant. It's funny. It's frustrating. It creates a lot of those moments we talked about where you suddenly go, oh, hold on. Am I the one being an idiot here? When you're trying to meet up with the person, but they're moving in a different way to you. And you're like, hold on. But no, this is what... No, why is she moving? And then, uh, and then you go, well, why? Have you, because that thing's about to eat you. Oh yeah, oh my God! <laughs> That's going to happen to you. Know, it, it feels like the whole system's alive. It takes patience. It takes patience to learn. It takes patience to play. Each play does take a long time. Two hours would be the minimum. It can take a lot longer than that. And also it can take a lot longer than that and suddenly you can die because of the fragility of your character and it doesn't take much to kill you at all. But it won't happen often, but it can happen. Mm. You have to have an open mind as to what you expect from the game, but I do recommend playing it because it is unique and it is really an experience. And even if you play it once and you decide it's not for me, you will have memories from that game that will last longer than memories from most of the games you play. And that is far away. Very good. So the last game for this half, and this is the half where we tend to stack. You say that every turn, you know, every game, every episode. Every turn, every game, every episode. This is the half that's longer. Yeah. But what? you say it in every single episode. Oh, do I? Say, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So the longer half of the episode is nearly nearly full. (laughs) So and we're gonna finish with another one from the hotness, and it is Dwellings of Eldervale or Elverdale as I keep calling it. That is the first time you've said that name, right? (laughs) Uh, Plays one to five players, designed by Luke Laurie. Now funnily enough, Luke Laurie I looked I looked him up, I hadn't heard the name before, but he has done Manhattan Project Energy Empire, which was very, very well received. But got lost in the swamp of Manhattan yeah, Project Yeah, and uh, the late, one of the latest ones that people are raving about, Whistle Mountain. Is it Whistle Stop, or is it the Rocky Mountain expansion for Whistle Stop? It's Whistle Mountain. It's neither of those, is it? <laughs> it's neither of those. But it's it Whistle Mountain. similar. And it's supposed to be very good. Breaking Games are the publishers that bring this to us. So, in Dwellings of Eldervale, we are factions returning to Eldervale itself to re-establish ourselves in the land because there was a 
cataclysmic event and everyone got driven out. So we're now trying to establish ourselves as the dominant peoples of the land or creatures as it may be. So it is a worker placement, area control, engine building game. Generally, you're going to place your workers to either do the action on the tile or gather resources. You can also battle monsters that are going to be roaming around the plains, or you can battle other players if you go into the same space of them. And what you're, why you're doing all of this is you're going to be trying to build dwellings, which are going to add to your sort of area control and give you points for the type of place you build on at the end of the game, and add cards to your tableau which are going to give you extra powers and extra worker placement spaces. You're influencing the world players to explore the lands. Different workers have different powers, and each faction has different powers on top of that. The only thing in addition to that is you can use magic cards to boost or do, uh, do things or score points at the end of the game. It is unquestionably an amazing production run in this. I question it. I, I, I refute your question. I withdraw my question. <laughs> you withdraw that. It is fantastic. It's full of game trays that are functional. you just got to take your faction out of the box, out, plonk it in front of you, and everything is set up ready for you to play. The cards are all in their, in their own containers. You just plonk that on the table, set up, ready to play. I think it's a fantastic, beautiful component and artwork experience and that is obviously what drew me to the game first drew you drew me (laughs) (laughs) so unlike i think some people game trays doesn't necessarily attract me to a game but when they're done like this they do because as you said they're functional and they lay things out and they help you with the rules and they help you understand what's going on. And there's little dibby-dobbers to show you how expensive things are. And in terms of production, Sean, this is through the roof. And I got the basic one. I got the cheap, basic, <laughs> no standees, no miniatures, no roaring bases. And even then, it's a fantastic production. Oh, so I want the roaring bases. Yeah, but really, why? It's just one of those Mike, Mike Delisio summed it up. He said, This is the most superfluous thing I've ever seen in a board game. Absolutely do not need this in a game. I will never play without them. Okay, tell me also what he said. So, the, the, there's sound bases for the monsters in the game, which, first of all, the monsters are almost a throwaway aspect when I thought they were going to be central to the whole thing. But he also said, All the rules are all the same. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> they all go, <laughs> <laughs> I have to do my own monsters. rules. Monsters. Yes. I thought there's a monster for each of the factions, and you don't play all the factions in the game unless you're playing with the low people. You have to have six. I don't think you can. Can you play with six players? You can play with six players. You can have all the other factions. One to five. Right, one to five. Is it? That's what I wrote down. Well, okay, I'll shut up. <laughs> there's one monster for each faction, and each yeah. faction's got three hexes that will go in the pile and yep. one of them has got the lair on and That's when the lair comes out the monster comes out and there's all this thing about monster and monster behaviour and there's monsters around the place and I didn't feel they were as central to play as I thought they were going to be I felt like they were there they could be used cleverly for one or two turns and then someone's going to kill them absolutely they can hang around depending on where they land and whether people want to go on and take them on if they've got that sort of, if they've got their powerful creatures out. So when you do do battle in this game, 
you get more dice for your more powerful workers. Uh, your dragon gives you three dice, your warrior gives you two, uh, and the wizard might give you a different power. But as I said, every faction's different, and you get you can get little, little tweaks on that as well. So the one that comes out early, you might not necessarily want to dive in with just your basic workers and fire. So that might hang around a little bit. But what I did find, Ronan, and you, you hinted at it, was that you can really manipulate them. In some of them, you've got the whirlwind one, which drags other people into a fight. And if you can tempt that whirlwind towards a certain point and drag everybody else into the fight where you have got the dominant force, you can score yourself a lot of points and really hinder their progress in the game. And you can also tame a monster and make it one of your workers, which can be quite powerful in the game as well. Well, there's many points within that sentence. There is, there is. It's a big sentence. (laughs) I'm going to unpick it a little bit. So in this where you've got these these dudes going out and there's all this talk of combat and you can earn a few points. I don't think you can earn a lot of points from that glory track to be honest with you while winning. You can earn a few edgy, but there's not a lot of points on there. But anyway, again, combat from when I first approached it thinking this is going to be really important, it's going to be really thematic and these big fights are going to matter, is much more about spatial manipulation. Yes, and making areas available to you or not available to you or other people than it is about the actual combat itself. Because when you have a combat, whoever wins moves up one on the glory track and they get a small bonus. Maximum is like three points, something like that. Whoever loses, all their things that they've lost, and they all will go to the the underworld, they'll get a sword each for each of them, so they do get a little bonus. But what they can't do is, when they withdraw workers, they can't put them on their cards and activate their powers. Yes. But it's not that bad a penalty because you're getting a sword anyway, which hopefully you can turn it into something else or use. So in terms of the monsters, and you mentioned it with the whirlwind, and in terms of the combat, I find that it's much more about making areas available on the board than it is about the actual feeling of... It doesn't feel like combat. I agree. And I'll get to that towards the end. It's actually an element I I appreciate in the game. I, I like that... It doesn't feel like you've been absolutely destroyed if you've lost in a dice roll in the combat, which is because you can you can be. Should we talk about how the dice roll works. <laughs> yeah, we do. Well, um, so you've got up to six dice that you can put into a battle. So uh, we talked about your workers giving you different sums of dice, and so if Ronan might have a dragon and a warrior, no, 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 him... I, I roll four. You roll five. <laughs> how does it resolve? <laughs> All right. I might roll one die and Ronan rolls all six of his because he's got all of his powerful units in there. I can still win that battle. If I roll a six and he doesn't roll a six, it's the highest number that wins. You you line them up highest number to highest number. Yeah. And whoever's got the highest number first. So if it's five, five, and then it goes five, four, whoever's got the five and the beats the four. Yeah, true. Okay. But yeah. You gave an extreme thing. example. I, I did give an extreme example. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it does, it does go, it, it goes down the, the, the order. So you've got more chance of winning with more dice. Yeah. But you can win with less or fewer. You can, which is it's worth taking a punt because you're only risking one dude and it can come off, mm. which which gives it a sort of, how did that worker just kill that massive monster? <laughs> but, but it had sort of something that's a little bit funny in there, I guess. But the whole point of combat for me was always about the result of the movement or, or the strategy of the effect of the movement and then about the result of the fight. I, I agree. I agree totally. And I like the fact that it, didn't hurt you so much because you get swords and swords can be used to replace to add dice to battles. That's true. So you're actually making them stronger in the next fight by giving them swords. You're right. I agree with you. And 
This is... Uh, I, I, see, the thing with the combat there is, when you're using combat to block or pull workers out of the way is, the game is all about a race. And it, it, it's very much get six dwellings out as quick as you can. And I found that there's so much within the game that you want to create this big strategy where you put things together and you're not going to have the time. And you think there's going to be more areas of to build in than there are. There's a very limited number of areas to build in. And you have to race to get into them, which is why the combat and the moving workers around. Because if someone's in in an area with a worker, they're set up to build there because you you build dwellings by sticking a hat, sticking a roof on a worker. So you can see where they might be intending to build. And getting them out of there can be important. And with the race aspect, there's a very interesting tipping point in how you play the game. Because there's not long to build up. And to me, when people first start playing, especially Euro players, they spend too long building up a strategy and an amazing tableau. And my God, if there was five more rounds, they'd have kicked <laughs> everyone. But there isn't five oh, more there rounds. There isn't, yes. So, and, and that race aspect and the tipping point of when you, you know, you've got to keep surging for points, you've got to keep going for points, is almost, again, it's like the combat, it's almost incongruous to what you think you're getting to when you start playing it. Yeah, okay, so that was... That it feels grander and it feels more in depth than it actually is. You feel like this should be a massive two hour exploration into this world where you're slowly building up, but it isn't. It's, it's, it's absolutely not that. And it's, it is the race aspect. So you've not only got the race to build your dwellings, but, and we haven't really talked about it, in, the, in there's a separate board, it's the element board. And that is intrinsically linked with the cards that you bring into your tableau and the where you place your dwellings on the board. Because the dwellings are all, all the the elements. Sorry, I'll say it. The hexes are linked to a particular element. So when you That's build a correct, dwelling yes. there, you get more powerful than that element. Yeah, and you only, you're only going to use a certain amount of those elements in the game. That's the way you're going to win the game. You're going to you have to go up in the element board. You have to build your dwellings, and you have to bring cards of a certain type to build up your score because they multiply off each other. They multiply off each other. So yeah, dwellings are slightly more important, as in that they score immediately and then at the end of the game as well. But the cards and the dwellings at the end of the game score equally. So it, there is two ways to go, but it's all linked into the same thing. And it feels like it should be grander than it is. And one of the things I said whereby there's not as many places to build as you think there are, these links directly into that. If I'm fighting with you for, let's say, the dark blue, the, the water spaces, and we're both doing decent in terms of power, and we've got a couple of cards of that colour, who can get the dwellings on there makes a big difference to our final score. And again, it brings in that pressure of, oh, I don't have time. To, and once the dwelling's built, you can't nick it. It's built, it's built, it's done. Another thing that adds real pace to the game. Yeah, absolutely. And everything is sort of telegraphed in this game. As you Again, it's something that you, you kind of touched on, that you kind of know where people are going. Because if, if someone whacks their dragon into an area, then you know that around that area, very in a very that vicinity, they're looking to defend something if it should should it become attacked. Because you can bring in adjacent troops into into your battle, so the, you get an idea of where people are going and what they're trying to do, and then it's up to you to try and disrupt that. Whereas battles are quite easy for the for the likes of me who doesn't like too much conflict in games. The actual usurping of people's intentions is actually quite combative. And to add to that, 
the level that you can work that out and see what people are intending to do, and the level of strategy in the game is directly linked to player count. Because the more players you have, the more chaos there is going on. The more people who are going up in different elements, the more elements there can be to any one battle, the more that people are doing the random stuff that will go, what is there? Why, why do you go there? Like you can't, you're not even building up in that element. And then suddenly they buy two cards of that color and they grab it. You're like, oh, you oh. are building up in that element. Yeah. So I, I think that it's a very different game two player to you know, three player. It's then I, I really enjoyed it at three player. Four player started getting more chaotic and then I haven't done five player, but there's going to be so much going on there. There's already a lot going on, even in two-player. I haven't played anything other than two-player. I do feel, and I did feel immediately having played it, that it would be better at three and four. And I think you've confirmed that with three at least. So I think but I think I was more forgiving of it at two-player. You found it a little bit too open and you could do what me and Natalie like to do, which is just turtle up and go into our little sides. And eventually you kind of have to go and have a fight because it becomes too tight. But at the beginning, certainly we, we did our own thing. Mm. I suppose it depends on what you want to play. Yeah, I think even two play because attacking someone, because it's not that big a bonus, mm. you're almost slowing yourself down more than you are them sometimes, unless you do it very cleverly. So... I think that if you've played at a certain player count, you need to play at another player count just to sort of see and, and get the full experience of what ca- what it can be. And if you like it with more chaos and fun and laughter and stuff, go higher player count. If you like it more strategic, go lower player count. And that's that's a way... It, it's Once you have experience with the game, I think that it's a benefit for the game, but it will lead to very different player experiences for people. Okay, so... I've run out of names. Person to my right, are <laughs> you? I can live with that. What are your thoughts? Well, on... before we go to thoughts, oh, oh, we've got another point. We are very close to a Hollywood moment with this game. The Hollywood moment, <laughs> a card rip. Oh. <laughs> so the most powerful unit you can have is your dragon. In combat, is your dragon, which has three dice. The monsters will have four, or five. Are there six dice monsters? I can't remember, but there's definitely four, four or five. Four or five, ones. I think. Right. There's there's a, a resource in the game called orbs. You get an orb when you get to the very top of an element track, so you're going to have to work towards that. There are also a couple of orbs available on the glory track. You have to be the first to get there, so you have to have attacked and been successful and stuff, or, or for at least four successful to get them. There are a handful of adventure cards, quest cards, or not quest cards, but adventure cards that you can take the element cards that require an orb to be put on them. So you have to have earned the orb, you have to have bought the card, then you can dominate a monster. When you dominate a monster, it becomes a unit for you in all purposes. So now you have a four or five dice, whatever it is, monster, that you can place down and use and utilize and take into battles. And it is a big, it's not, a, it's a game's changer, not, not a dominator, but it is a big thing. There's a magic card. Everyone starts the game with five magic cards in their hand, and there is a space that is always in play. There's five ruins that are always in play on the board from the yeah. beginning of each game mm-hmm. that give you the basic functions of upgrading your, your characters and getting dwellings out and stuff like that. One magic card in the game, and there's only one, immediately just play it for no cost as soon as a monster moves into one of your spaces and you dominate that monster. No cost? No cost. Wow. I have no, I've not happened across that. Rachel had it in her start hand the last game we played so from literally the second turn of the game she had a five dice monster 
Did you check the FAQs on, on the rules with that? I checked some stuff, but no, I haven't gone fully into that. But I, I wonder, I've got this vague recollection that I checked that rule out, and when the monster dies, it goes away. Like monsters. Oh, no, we're talking about the monster dying going away. That was, but she got it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How am I going to kill yeah, a five roll at <laughs> the beginning of the game? True, yeah. For no cost. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, I see that. Yeah, 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 for, for sure. It's yeah. currently hidden in the box. <laughs> One day, I think, I had a bad day at work. I'm going to come home and that thing's getting... And thrown to the wind. Should we recap on your Hollywood moment in London and Bort? There's really no need. If a, if a card is bad in a game, it gets ripped up and thrown away. That's it. That's R- it. Roland, R- R- no, there's a no lot need. of shock. A lot of shock. There were, there were people crying. It really wasn't like Roland. that, was it? Stupid card in Elder, Eldritch Horror. Anyway, right. Well, you want me to sum up? Yes, please. The variety is... Amazing. I am looking to see whether there is a pattern to emerge from it. Part of the problem with that is all these things we've been saying is that it's not quite exactly what it appears to be. It's actually, there's a lot going on, but it's a a quicker, not lighter, because there's plenty on, but a quicker game than you imagine it to be. And the strategy for it is very different to what you imagine it to be. So I'm still kind of getting used to what it's asking you to do. And I'm waiting for that pattern to emerge. That each faction plays differently, and if you utilise that faction's abilities well, you're going to do better. That they are, they are, you know, they, they give you the edge, and it's all about little edges. I found in this game, mm-hmm. so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I think about Dwellings of Eldervale, which is in some ways a good thing because I want to play it more. I'm driven to play it more, but every time I've played it. I can't guarantee you that that was a good game. It was something that definitely happened to me, and some people did some stuff, but whether the better play was rewarded or whether there was, on the other side of things, epic moments that felt very thematic, I'm not really getting either of them. So my feelings currently about Dwellings of Eldervale after three plays is... The meme I sent you about the Masked Singer, Sean. <laughs> is it the greatest thing ever, or is it a load of old touch? Exactly. <laughs> is it genius, or is it a load of old shit? I can't tell. But so far, it's been dazzling enough that I still want to play it. So I guess it's done its job somehow. And this game is... This can go anywhere in the ratings. Anywhere. By the time we get to July or whatever and do our 2020 recap, this could be top 10. It could be bottom three. I'm going to say it's bottom three because you're in misery. For me, the caveat is that obviously I'm really, really taken in by the look of the game. And that's a major, major reason why I wanted to play it in the first place. Another caveat is I've only played two player. So far in my Elder Vale journey, I've thoroughly enjoyed the, the gentle element of it. Nothing feels like it's it's too taxing and nothing feels like it's too punishing, but you can still sort of build up your your troops and your workers and you can still build up your tableau and give yourself extra work and placement spots. 
which is enjoyable to me. And I tend to be that type of gamer. Leave me alone. I want to do my sort of thing. Yeah, I'll join in in a battle once or twice in a game. And that it all lends itself. So when I do join in a battle, I don't get super punished. So I'm more inclined to do to do so. So everything about this game is like, it feels like it's almost designed for me. And, and my my tendencies in games and the things, my little quirks and the things I like and I don't like. So, so far, I'm absolutely loving it. And put on top of that, the beautiful and functional nature of the components. Uh, from, so far for me, it's, it's an absolute winner. And I'm looking forward to playing it with more players to see if I like it even more. I have a feeling. There are times when you have played a game a few times at home mm-hmm. and then you bring it and or I have it whatever when we play it at my table and you just your face drops and your mouth opens and you're like what <laughs> and then you start getting moody of us you are horrible you are horrible you are so mean why can't we just play the game and enjoy ourselves why can't because we're playing to win because that's what like this is a 60 it's not it's a two and a half hour game no it's a 60 minute game that you really rush and beat the chair of each other and then you try and win it no it's not you build up your lovely little garden and then, what was the garden game the garden game yeah the one where we suddenly started like cutting you off and breaking it up and the one you were Tang, like this Tang was garden. not the same game I played with Natalie Tang Garden how many cards do you go out in a game of Dwellings of Eldermale me loads I go for cards big time yeah I don't think I've seen more than three or four uh, loads out. We rushed this, but you don't have got time for going for those cards <laughs> like that. I have a feeling we've played two very, very different games, and I'm not sure we should ever play Jordan's Battleground together because I think you'll hate me. <laughs> Probably, I hate you anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Well, that is the big half out of the way. Oh, yeah, you're right to say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, because I don't say it every episode. You say it quite a lot. All right. Here comes the shorter half. Welcome back to the Game Pit, and this is the second half, and traditionally it's the lighter games, and Ronan is going to lead us off with an expansion to a game. We've got an expansion, a standalone expansion, a re-implementation, and a family game. You like that? I do. Let's go. Do it. Civilization, A New Dawn, Terra Incognita, from Tony Franchi, Fancy Flight. It's a 120-minute game, Civilization and New Dawn. Two to five players. Civil New Dawn was a 2017 flawed gem that took the Civilization IP of Sid Meier's computer games and went in a slightly different direction. But for me, Sean, a lot more gem than flawed. Yeah, yeah, he really liked it. Like you. I remember enjoying it, but it wasn't the Civ game that I wanted. It wasn't quite. I didn't. But quite was it the Civ game you needed? <laughs> it was. It was. It was that. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. Right. To be fair, <laughs> it put you on the right. So, what does it? What does it do for Civ? Firstly, it adds a fifth player. Sure. Now you start with not the full map in play. You start with a core map with some forts one player on there, and as a new mecha- mechanism, you can explore from the core, and you will draw tiles, and you will shape the world around you. That means that. Of course, it's not all set out, and so that will suit certain players. But it also means that there becomes more luck of the draw in the game, Sean, because you don't see the world before you place your capital city, mm-hmm. and that the different powers that each civilization has are going to meld into the tile draw better or worse, which adds more of that random factor to it. Lovely. 
That's so, all you can say to that, really, isn't there? It wasn't a great lead-in. It wasn't, it wasn't a great lead-in. But I will say one thing. A lot of people on the forums were saying that they didn't feel that this was an expansion. Essentially, it was more of an upgrade pack than an expansion. Um, then it changed the game. What the it <laughs> yeah, but let me tell you what's in it, and then we'll get back to that question because <laughs> I don't know how to answer it. Right. Uh, there are new sieves with new powers. It, it more than doubles the amount in there. There are new wonders to add, which are the goals for the game. There are more end game. Con- no, the wonders aren't goals for the game. There are more goals for the game, but also there are new wonders in the game. There are things called districts, the event dial that drove the game and drove Barbarian mm-hmm. Invasion and stuff before. Now there's a special district area on there and you, you've got a new card. So instead of having five cards, remember there was a, a system whereby there was five cards at the bottom yeah. and there you'd use one from wherever it was, left to right, and they got more powerful in their actions and then it would go back to left and start again and reset. Now you have six. Do you put all these in together or are they... Sort no, of this all goes in. This all becomes... This is the game It's now. the whole one yeah. thing. Yeah. So now you have six cards in your power bar. They've changed some of the original cards and you can use the sixth card to either bolster and defend more or you can use it to place these districts down which will trigger on the event dial and you can specialise areas a bit. If you're in desert, there's one that's good to be in desert. So if you want to go after culture, there's one that will give you more culture. So there's a bit more specialisation going on with these districts. Right. Okay. Yep. Good. I'll keep going quickly. There's a government you can choose, and one of your two lowest cards you can choose a form of government. It's just cool government. All it does is it means you put a token on it, and later on, well, you still got that government. That card can be utilised if it's one or two spaces to the right. So you can forward plan a bit. Oh, okay. And sometimes you don't have to wait so long. You're like, I need to use that card again. Oh, I've got to get it all the way up to five again, which can be frustrating. Now you can time it because you can see when the government's going to change and you are fully in charge of it. Yeah. And you say, if I use it now, I'll go down to one. I put a government on it. Now I've only got to move up three spaces and then I can use it again. Right, yeah, I like so that. I like the a bit more that. strategy. Yeah. So that was cool. They've put in armies. So you instead of it just being tokens that flip over, you still use the tokens, but mostly now for defense. You actually have armies that march out and you can see where someone's army's going. Oh, uh, okay. And you can see where they're going to attack and stuff, which adds a bit more strategy to it. The forts I mentioned, they're always part of the central map. There's one per player. If you control one, you've done one endgame condition. If you control two, you've done two endgame conditions. And I don't know if you remember how the game ends, but there are three goal cards laid out, and you used to have to do the three goal cards, something on this, two goals in each goal card. Now they bring the forts into play. They are ones that, if you control two and one gets taken off you, you lose the, the end game thing. You lose that achievement, whereas you can't with the normal ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so fighting over the forts, you've got to get four of the five. So you have to control at least a fort to win the game. But if you control two, you're halfway towards winning the right. game. Okay. So they're encouraging battle in battle the central area really and in development in the periphery. Expansion or upgrade pack? Yeah, upgrade pack. As in there's more of the same. The differences, I think, are really going to make a difference if you've played the game a lot because it's the subtleties of it. They're definitely pushing you more towards war yeah. and interacting with each other more, which was one of the main complaints originally. Mm-hmm. There wasn't enough interaction. You didn't have to interact in order to win. But they didn't address the biggest problem with the game for me, which was the end game conditions. I never liked them. And everyone chasing the same thing and games being samey. That's why, yes, it's coming back to me now. Yeah, yeah. 
So, yeah, they, so they haven't touched that, really. They've made it worse because everyone's now fighting over the but same the number forts, of forts. Yeah, yeah. So if you're in a three-player game, you're all fighting over the same three forts which are in the middle of the map. Yeah, right. So, okay. mm, <laughs> we, we house rule the end game. Um, so I don't like the forts and I don't like they didn't address the um, yeah. problems. Do you think this game needs a fifth player and would it, would it be too messy? I don't think it needs a fifth player and yeah, I think it would be too messy. Oh, brilliant. Next. <laughs> So the only other thing I've really got for you on this one is a lot of people were saying that the player interaction, because of those forts in the middle, everyone's developing and building up their civilization and building up their armies and doing their own thing. And then towards the end of the game, they all bowl in the middle and have a big fight. So the interaction doesn't really ramp up until quite close to the finish of the game. Did you find that? Yes. Okay, thank you. Generally, everyone grabs the <laughs> fort nearest them and doesn't want to antagonise everyone else because you don't want them attacking you. And then when you're ready and it's really getting to the end game, and it's the only thing you do to win, you have to do it. So it makes game save me, yeah. which is what I don't want, which is why we house rule it. And in fact, we sometimes play without forts at all. <laughs> I know, shocking. <laughs> Another Hollywood moment. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, Terra Incognita is a flawed gem of an expansion for a flawed gem of a game. <laughs> because it's really worth playing. And I like the exploration. You have to accept that the exploration and combos might combo together, powers might combo together, and someone might get a great, you know, they might get exactly what they need right on their doorstep. Ooh. Like I had um, the Incas, and I could expand quickly through mountains and didn't draw any mountains for the whole game. So my special power was useless. Uh, whereas someone else had a power that was good in deserts whatever you, and they drew deserts and were like well great they won so yeah, I'm making this sound worse than it is sour grapes while I hit yeah <laughs> I think it's a great system I, I'm glad I got the expansion I'm going to choose the bits out of the expansion that I like and I'm going to ignore the bits that, that highlight the flaws for me there is more fighting even without the forts so you've made it modular I have made it. <laughs> it wasn't intended modular. to be. You have made it modular. Eighty percent of Terra Incognita <laughs> is really cool. If you like the system, you're going to like it more with some of this stuff. If you didn't like it in the first place, you're not going to like it more with Terra Incognita. It's not. They've tried to win the doubters over, which I don't think what they should have done. I think they should have gone for the people who actually love the game. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Civ A New Dawn, Terra Incognita. Okay, so I'm going to talk about the latest instalment in the DC deck building game, which you all know that I am a big fan of. And this one is uh, Dark Knight's Metal, designed by Matt Dunn, Matt Hira, Ben Stoll and Nathaniel Yamaguchi, and coming from Cryptozoic, playing two to five players. So I haven't read the comic series, but you're playing in the Dark Multiverse, where everything's a bit creepy and weird. In the, in, it's, the, it's the multiverse, but a dark version of it. And you're, you're fighting. You know? <laughs> you're fighting against the the Batman who laughs. And essentially, the Batman who laughs is a combination of Batman and Joker, who are being melded because together. Because the Man Who Laughs is an old silent movie, which is supposed to have inspired the Joker. You ever seen it? Not I seen haven't. it, but seen clips of it. No. So it's a dude that got injured and his face is pulled into that Joker smile. Uh, but he's actually, the story is he's a goodie, and he's he's always misunderstood and vilified for the fact that his smile is like yeah, that. Yeah. And he, a blind woman falls in love with him and all this. But which, he, he looks, you know, like old 1920s yeah, black and white. Which fits in with the new creepy. Joker film, in that he can't help laughing at the things, so people mis- mistake him. Oh, yeah, he's also a, a bit. A raging <laughs> loon. But. No, but, but that look apparently inspired the Joker. And like You can get clips on YouTube, and he won't like, look at it, mm. 
it's super creepy and it's really funny to think that inspired this whole Joker thing. This, I, I think it might even be a German film, but definitely he was a European actor. Anyway. Cool. Well, right, there you go. I didn't even know That's that. That's what Batman lost. I did this, yeah. <laughs> so, in, in the box you get, there's a new type of card. They're metal cards and they've got like a metal sheen on them. You have an exact setup, so it's not a random setup for for the super villains, which changes things slightly, so it gets progressively harder as the game goes on. Is the setup of super villains the same for every game? Same for every game. You've yep. got the same seven superheroes uh, for every game. And they're all amalgamations. Well, the first load are amalgamations of Batman, and then as they get harder, they, they, they turn into villains on their own. You When you control, you control a superhero like you do in the normal game, but you can control more than one in this game. Mm. And the way you do that, we'll talk about it in a minute, is by rescuing them from the Batman who laughs. Okay. What will happen is when certain trigger points happen in the game, when uh, you defeat a villain, for instance, uh, a new hero will come out underneath the Batman who laughs character. Mm. Also, when you get a certain amount of weakness cards in your hand, you will lose your character. So, but you can have more than one. So you lose one of your characters, and if you if you lose your last character, you just blind draw a, a brand new character. So you're not stuck to the same hero and the same power for throughout the game. Okay. And they do stack as well. So if you've got three heroes, that you can use all three of their powers. So you want more in there, and, and you can get to use more. Otherwise, it's very much the same game. So I, I think you asked the first one. It's more of a story to it. Do you feel like you're actually there is a narrative to this? Right, because the original DC was... I mean, the theme was it, but it was, it was themeless in terms of a narrative, really. Slightly. Very slightly. As, as you Don't over-egg it there. <laughs> very, very, very slightly. The, the original one had absolutely no story or story arc to it, really. This one, in, in the progression of the villains and the building up of the superheroes and them sometimes getting kidnapped by the Batman who laughs, yes, there was a little bit of story there. Okay. And... The cards themselves that you're getting to, to build into your deck, are they integrated more strongly or are they just as random as the first DC? Just as random, and there is some massively, massively powerful cards in there. And Any they, word can be coming off them massively. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a 10, for instance. That you, it's like it's, it's more than the villain. Right. <laughs> the first couple of villains. What is the card? It's it basically it gives you. Oh, what's it called? Oh, I can't remember what the card the card's called, but it's it gives you a load of power in the game, and it also gives you end game points. But it's directly linked to how many weakness you've got in your hand. Okay. So it can be massive if you keep your weakness down, and it when it comes out, it's, it's huge. Anyway, I think it's plus five or plus six power or something mm-hmm. like that. So there are those huge big cards. And they brought into another element in the metal cards, and the metal cards are standalone. Like they they react to things. It will say if you've got a metal card in your hand, do this, blah blah blah. And they are beautiful. Let me just say, beautiful, beautiful. How much of the appeal was the Batman theme? Because Batman's cool. Yeah, that Batman is great, but it's still got that. Whole... Is he more of a draw than you like the whole DC lot? I know you like the whole DC. Me, yeah, I like Batman. I've always been a big fan of Batman, That's but funny. the game. The game itself, it's just it feels exactly like DC Deck Builder in that all the characters are in there. There's loads of heroes. It's not just Batman. In fact, Batman starts off kidnapped, so you can't be Batman from the start. Mm. You have to rescue him. 
I'm down. I, I really, I really liked it. I found it was a really well balanced version. I felt because you got the progression. You, it's still competitive. You're still trying to score. Still much competitive. Yeah, yeah. Same same setup. You're still buying from the thing. You're trying to score as much points as you can. Kill the villains, and the last villain goes. That's the end of the game. And yeah, I just I love the artwork. I've always loved the artwork. It's just another. It's a better version because they've been doing those verses. Yeah. packs which don't really work in my no. opinion and a lot of their their rather little small packs and additions to things haven't really worked in the system for me and there are big hit, hits and misses for me throughout the system so I quite like Teen Titans but the Super Villains one wasn't very good and things like that but this one is right up there with the original and this one is? this one is the DC deck building game Dark Knight's Metal beautiful lovely Unicorn Fever. Yes. Horrible Guild, 45 minutes, two to six players from Lorenzo Silva and Lorenzo Tucci Sorrentino. As we'll all remember, Horse Fever was a 2009 release from the same designers, don't we, Sean? We do. No, we don't. Do you remember Horse Fever? I've seen it in trades. I know. (laughs) I've never played it. That was a betting game. This is also a betting game, but it adds thick unicorns thick unicorns yeah. we're not calling them fat unicorns no, no. Uh, <laughs> we don't say that. that in this house we say thick thick okay thank you and magical powers and Sean are you more or less likely to play a horse betting game when it's got thick unicorns and magical powers yes especially I'm sitting more here more or less yes oh more sorry my apologies <laughs> more I'm sitting here looking at the box and the unicorns look hilarious and I want to play it yes they also race across a rainbow why not? Now you're happy. <laughs> now we're in. Right. What do we do? You've got three actions to play. Uh, you can bet, you can play cards, you can buy contracts, or you can earn yourself a bit of money. Because obviously betting and playing cards and buying cards are going to cost you money. Once everyone's done three actions, there's going to be a race. The way this works is that the unicorns start off from favourite to least favourite. And for each round of the race, you flip a card, and the number of spaces they move is linked to what their odds are. But during the play of the game, you can manipulate their odds. And you, when you play cards, you play cards face down on unicorns. Mm. And you can play positive or negative cards. And sometimes they can cancel each other out. No one knows what's been played. You can just know the number that have been played, who's played them, and what you've bet on. So if Sean has bet a load of money on five to, or, sorry, on blue to win, and then he's played five cards on blue, I'm guessing he's put some positive cards on there. <laughs> so I can either go with it, I can push blues up to be in the favourite yeah. so that he earns less money or I can pull it down so that it's got less likely to move because the cards are weighted right. and the further towards the top the more likely the unicorn is to move further but there's quite small differences in the movements and every race is quite tight and also of course if he's playing low he's bet on blue and he's putting cards on blue I might start just chucking negative cards mm-hmm. on blue and that's sort of part of the crap but you don't have loads of actions so each action is actually quite important you can't just throw away and be a pain in the bum just to be a pain in the bum so that's part of the obvious manipulation bit of it. Also, once all the unicorns have moved according to this card that's been flipped, you roll two dice, and the unicorns that come up on the dice, and the six colours of the unicorn, they move an extra space. Mm-hmm. So literally any unicorn can win if they get lucky on the dice. This will give you an idea of what sort of a game it is, in that it's all quite, you know, there's powers, there's unicorns, there's rolling dice, it's quite funny. There's a pattern to it, though. It's not shapeless, and it is about odds of what's more likely to win, but... It's how much you can sway those odds in your favour. Now, when you bet, you don't just win money, you also win glory, and there's other ways of winning glory. And glory are actually the victory points. However, the more glory you have, the more money you have to pay in tax each round. 
And if you run out of money, you've got to start taking loans. Right. Right. <laughs> so Martin Wallace does that. It's kind of. <laughs> you can't win if you have the most number of loans. Right. So you can't have loans and win. So you're just ruled out. You're ruled out. Whoever's got the most loans cannot win, no matter how much glory they've got, no matter how much money, because money at the end turns like every 20 money into one glory. It's not a great exchange rate. It is about getting the glory. But if you've taken loans, no, you're out of it. You also get a tiny amount of money because each person owns a unicorn. So you get a little bonus if it comes first, second or third, but that's not a lot of money. But it is in there. There's a lot of ownership in there. Okay. Why did I get it? Ellie just turned 18. We're having a few drinks with her that day. Mm. We were looking for something fun to do. Unicorn fever. There you go. I'm shallow, but it looked like fun. It looked like the sort of thing that we'd all enjoy having. And and lo and behold, we did. It kind of feels more like your camel up or camel cup. It's camel up. It's it's camel up. camel up. No, no, no. No. Or I played, and I can't, this is the brilliant reviewing, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was a sheep racing game that I played at the UK Games Expo, and that had a similar feel, but I that I didn't like that one, but this one seems a little bit more involved and a little bit more fun to it, so I want to give it a go, and that's all I can say, because I haven't played it. Well, this isn't, I wouldn't say this was actually for kids. I, no. there, there's enough structure, and sort of powers and manipulation that the I mean as kids that are like games and understand games and are able to take having mean things done to them mm. in the right spirit yeah they have to understand betting they have to understand the fact that it's not about money it's about and the fact that you're going to have to, if it starts going wrong you have to start taking loans yeah and then betting everything you have it's the only way to get out of the loan it's a death spiral like once you start getting loans, you, you, there's no point. Like oh, I'll just uh, I'm losing money, so I'll, I'll just keep it kind of tight. No, this is a terrible example to set to anyone. The minute you start taking loans, you start have to bet in the whole house on something, and you can come back at the end by by betting everything on something and you put it all in and going right. Purple needs to win at six to one here, or I'm in huge trouble. <laughs> so as you, you know, I'm laughing already talking about it. It leads to that laughter. It leads to the shouting. It leads to the cheering. It's a dumb 45 minute, not dumb. Actually, there's a pattern to it game in which you're going to be stitching each other up and you have to play it in the right spirit. And then in which case, Unicorn Fever is a load of fun. Lovely. There we go. And we are going to finish with a game that I bought uh, for my family at Christmas time. And it's Haber's version of uh, Murder Mystery or Mystery, or solve the, solve the Crime. And it's The Key. Rob in the Cliff Rock Villa, which is basically robbery in the Cliff Rock Villa. Designed by Thomas Singh, as I said already, it's coming from Haber playing one to four. There are three suspects in the, in the game, and they've all stolen something from Cliff Rock Villa. And what we've got to work out is what time they did their robbery, what they stole, and what was their means of getaway. Okay. And we do this, and it, by there's a load. You choose you choose a key at the start, and it's that that colour dictates sort of what the result is. Okay. Um, of the crime. How do you mean key? It's just a little wooden key that you put in the middle, and it's functional at the end on, in deciding who's working out who if, if you were correct. How? I shall tell you when we get to that. Okay, good. <laughs> so you put the key in the middle, and you put these all all the cards. And there's a big big deck of cards all around in a circle. You just sort of spread them around the table. 
And the first thing you're looking for is cards that match the colour of the key, because they're the ones that are active in this in this um, investigation. Then there are different cards. Some of them will give you a hint as to what the person looked like, a tiny bit of the CCTV image of what the person looked like and at what time the, the, the crime was done. Some of them will, will give you clues as to what they were carrying because we've got in our booklet our crime booklet we've got their bags and we can see various items that were in the bag and you can link the the item to the getaway vehicle uh, some of them will give you clues on on the the time some of them will tell you oh this item was stolen at this time and you you've got to build up this pattern of who stole what and how they got away and what time they stole it but each card has a cost in time. So you want to do it in the fewest cards possible. Mm -hmm. And then the first person to finish will grab the key. So I know who it is and you mark it. So hold on, are you taking turns? No, it's all a free-for-all. You're all diving into the middle doing it... And you can take, you can grab any card you want. Any card, you're just making sure that it's uh, the it, color of the key. The color of the key. It'll tell you the cost of the card on okay. the front, yeah. And it'll tell you roughly what you're going to see on the other side, whether okay. it's a CCTV image or tell you a clue about what was stolen, etc. So you're building up, and there's a combination. So if the if the guy with the hat stole at two o'clock and he stole the tiara. You will, you will mark that. Why do you need a tiara for when you've got a hat? Well, no he, he's, he, he's rude and he's, he's greedy. So that And that's what you're trying to do. And you're trying to do it as quickly as you can. And the person who finishes first will grab the key from the middle and say, I finished. And they will get a small bonus at the end. And everyone else will finish off and try to get the, to the combination of who, who did it and etc. Then there's a little board. It's not that technical. It's a little board. There are little holes in it. And if the combination, if your combination matches one of the holes on the board, you put the key through it and you flip the board over. If the colour of the key matches the colour of what's on the other side, then it's a correct, you're correct in your estimations. The person with the key gets to throw away one of their cards and then you add up all the time that you've taken on the cards mm -hmm. and the person who took the least time is the winner. But they have to have been correct. They have to have been correct. They can't, they, they can't see the combination someone else is using. No, we all finish. Yeah. And we all say, this is our combination. We I show it. it right. And then we find the combination. Like the person who start, who finish first will do the first one. If they pull it out and it's it's a black key and it's a red thing on the back, yeah. a lock on the back, then they go, all right, well, I was wrong. Put it back to the next person who finished. Do you find that people end up with different combinations very often? Not really. <laughs> so what's the age range for starters? The age range is it starts at eight. Okay. Um, but I, yeah, you have an just, eight. I, I do have an eight. How was that? And it's putting everything together and it's remembering. There are there are little tick boxes to say right. Okay, so I do know that the the older woman has stolen the idol. But I don't know how I get, what her getaway was. Right. I don't know what time she did it. So you tick off that and that, but then you obviously you get to negate the other two. So I know that she's totally idle, so the other two can't have. Mm -hmm. He struggles a little bit with the crossing off the thing, the information that's in addition to what he's exactly found out. Right. So he he needs a little bit of There's help. There's a name for that, I'm trying to think of <laughs> He needs a little bit of help. But negative deduction or something. Something like, that. like yeah, yeah. You, you're ruling out all the things that can't be. Induction. Okay, yes, what? Yeah. Conduction. Uh, frimduction. Reduction. Blinduction. Yeah. Yeah, why not? why not? 
So that, that, I know Blind actually. <laughs> How'd you know him? Well, I've met him a few times around about. <laughs> around about. <laughs> I know what that means. I know what that means, yeah, yeah. So, Ronan, it's simple to get into. Sometimes you can feel it's a bit of the luck of the draw. One ne- one big negative for me, it, you've got the same three characters and you've got, I think it's eight different colour keys. But you, you, so you're playing effectively the same game with the same characters over and over again, but there's just a different combination of who's done what. So we've played it three times now, mm. and I'm starting to flag. <laughs> Is James dying to flag? He really enjoys it, but we're really spacing out the plays. Right. Yeah. He doesn't. He, he's normally when he really likes a game, he say, "Can we play that tomorrow? Can we play that tomorrow?" Yeah, yeah. This one, he go, "I like that." You do that too. I do. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> he goes, "I like that," but you never get the. Oh, can we play it tomorrow? Okay. Okay. So, yeah, the cards in the photos looked not that appealing for a kids' game in terms of color and brightness and functional. Yeah, they were they were functional. They weren't. But they, they, they are what they have to be. You can't have too much extra information on there. You have to, it has to be focused. I was wondering how much the physical appeal would be for them. I think the physical appeal is in trying uh, is in the theme. Right. Is, is in the sort of trying to work out. And, and the, the, the screens are quite good. And your booklet is quite good. Colourful. It's got to be cartoony people. Okay. So that side of it is fine. But the cards themselves are quite bland and functional. So... I looked at the wrong key because you only told me the key. <laughs> I and didn't. I sent you a picture of this one. I deny that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't look at the robbery in Cliff Rock Villa. I looked at the murder at the golf club. And it did have me scratching at, at what stage someone approved the theme of a golf club for an <laughs> eight-year-old's game. John Will do play a game about the golf club. What? Cliff Rock Villa's not exactly... No, good, I think it's not, it's it leads not a murder on. at the zoo or no, something. No, no, that's it? what I was thinking. Like, the themes are a bit... I they are, they are a bit funny. They are a bit funny, and the, I, I don't think it's a massive hit. If I'm absolutely honest, it's obviously got a shelf life. Unless you've, well, if you've got a great memory, you're going to remember the combinations, or you're going to remember roughly what the combinations were. But I suppose you could replay it after you you've played them all through, start again, because you're not going to remember the exact combinations. But it's going to feel the same after three or four anyway. Okay. So for for me, well, how, on that, how expensive was it though? It was, I'm trying to remember, I bought it from Thirsty Meeples, uh, 20, 20 pounds, 25 pounds. Okay. It wasn't massively You keep expensive. going, I'm going to look up the price of it. Okay, you, you look up the price. So, yeah, as I said, it, it's very hectic and it's an accessible investigation game. It's really simple to get into, but we did feel like the luck of the draw played a part and... The repetitive nature of it is starting to definitely wear on me and and Natalie and even to James to a degree in that he's not he's not begging for it. And the key Arlob in the Cliff Rock Villa is a semi hit in our household. How much is it, Ronan? Twenty pounds and fifty nine pence. There you go. From let's might as well give them a shout out. Uh, Beanie Games. Beanie Games. I've never heard of them. Or, or from Germany. Or from Germany. Okay. Well, Dirty Meeples, £17 for £4 shipping. Oh, yeah. In the, in that 20 to 25 range. Correct. There we go. So, 
That's all our reviews. Barry. That's all our reviews. Not Barry. Definitely not Barry. That's all of our reviews done. Thanks, Sean. That was amazing. Shall we get on to our traditional, what have you looked at, what have you backed, and Let's do what's it. come into the collection? I shall tell you right off the bat, Ronan, I have backed nothing other than Core Request. I know you've backed Core Request, and so have I. Ah, oh, well done. And God damn it, if you're a child in my family this Christmas, you're getting a copy of Core Request for Christmas. Well, that, that big northern Egypt has managed to get his way onto BBC. And ITV. And ITV, yeah. And in the papers. Good Lord. He's desperate for almost stories. Like he's, almost like he's good at this. <laughs> I don't really like the media side of oh. it. I don't look at him. Playing them like a fiddle. It's, last I looked, it was, what, 87 grand? It was 80-something that I backed it today, so it was 80-something oh. grand. Yeah, so you're doing yeah. well. It's a core request. If you have any interest... If you're looking for birthday presents, Christmas presents for children ages five and up, amazing, I've never played it, amazing Dungeon Crawler, <laughs> with the, you're able to put your own characters in everything you heard Dan talk about a couple of episodes ago, yeah, well shut up, Core Request, back it, I'm sure it's great. Not a lot else that is appealing to me on on there, there's the Castles of Mad Sean, King. Sean, Kingdom Rush is on there. Oh, of course, yes, you were going to talk about that. But... <laughs> Elemental Uprising, yeah. it's a standalone second game, if you liked the sound mm-hmm. of what I said about Kingdom Rush Rifting Time this is another take on it uh, it's going to have some gameplay tweaks to it it's going to be beautifully produced yeah. as I said in the review you're going to have to listen to what we said about gameplay and decide whether that suits you or not and if you think it does I really recommend it and I, I had loads of fun with it and I, you know I, I played it I don't know how many times I played yeah. it and Quite you know few, you know from Lucky Duck that you, it's going to come on roughly on time it's going to come in good condition and it's going to be a lovely production so that's all the basics of Kickstarter there yes, you go they are good at that <laughs> I have got two more I backed oh have you I've got one on Kickstarter I, cool. talked, I think I talked about last time Carnegie no I think you were sniffing last time oh, well, I, I sniffed it went right up my nose <laughs> uh, and into my simple little brain so it's a Xavier Georges and uh, it's a it's a thinky one. The idea of that sort of development of America in the late Victorian era will, will be Victorian era to us, and sort of the the rise of industry and all that. It's, it's an interesting thing to me. It's not without its controversies. Obviously, people had to get climbed over for certain people to rise to the top. Yeah. Understood. In terms of gameplay, I think it's very little related to the theme itself. But it seemed incredibly tight and deep for only twenty actions each. So I went for it. Lovely. And this inner tool. The iconography, which we which we know is going to be on point. And the last one was uh, on GameFound. There is late pledges available, and it's for Cascadia, which is a tile layer in which you're laying out tiles to create uh, areas of of lands or whatever you. And then also you put in animals into areas of lands, and there's two ways of scoring points. I will tell you exactly why I had to back this, and that's because it's from the Calico Publishers. Uh, and while I read it and went oh that sounds nice but it sounds like other tile layers so did Calico yeah, yeah. until I played it <laughs> so uh, on that basis and it's quite expensive I think it's 29 euro maybe That's so you know, you got to put shipping on top which is more now than it yeah, used to be yeah, yeah. but um, on the back of Calico but did you notice that I just talked about Core Request Cascadia Carnegie and Kingdom Rush I got all the K's going and the C's and the C's the C's the kicking cur and the curly cut. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. So you've got kids. Okay, games coming into your collection, Sean. So let's start with an old favourite. Okay. Quacks of Quedlingburg. Natalie. That's almost a cut. Almost. 
Natalie was a big fan from the game that we played, maybe at Aircon. Somewhere. Or somewhere we played it, and she's always sort of thought, oh, I really want to get that. She keeps talking about it, and it was it was cheap on one of the game publishers were selling it cheap. Not publishers, uh, Shop. retailers. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I grabbed it, and I grabbed the Herb Witches as well. And, and uh, I didn't know much about it, but I thought, right. I reviewed it on this show. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I don't listen to you. I said, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we, we loved it. We played it with James the other day, and he nearly beat me on his first game. <laughs> the I think she only destroyed us at Dwellings of Elderwell. You did. She yeah. destroys you at everything. She mostly does. So the other two that that I'm going to focus on, I got Fossilis. Really? Is that the one we have to like dig in to take you things are, out? Yeah, you're moving tiles and there's dinosaur bones under under the tiles, and each tile represents so like a sand, rock, or clay. And you, it's, it's a strategic game where you're pushing the tiles along. And you can push Is people it? as well, and then you you're, you're digging into your get your different types of stuff we've had a learning game of it but it will probably feature in a, in a review so I won't talk too much I've seen positive reviews never never touch me <laughs> I just know that James loves dinosaurs and he started to watch things where they're digging for bones and I thought it would be something that would be oh, interesting for him I, I like a digging program you do like a digging program and the other one there's one on tonight about 9 o'clock BBC 2 about the inner circle of Stonehenge Oh, nice. Yeah, they made that new discovery about the oldest bit of Stonehenge. Yes. There's a programme from an hour on about it tonight. Nice. And it's Alice Roberts. And you know I love Alice Roberts. <laughs> I do love the, the stories of Stonehenge, like the different tribes dragging those massive yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Through oh, enemy yeah, territories yeah, and all yeah. like getting killed. The and story all of Woodhenge and then yeah. they come up from there up through this landscape. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Did yeah. you see that they did investigatory pits for that tunnel? You know, the controversial tunnel they're going to build up near it? Yeah. And uh, they've just come straight across on a load of graves and stuff. It's like, oh, don't do anything, bro. These archaeologist tunnels, they're not, yeah, they're, they're not started doing building tunnels. Talking about graves, did you see that they, they were digging? I can't remember what country it was. They were digging and they found graves that people have died from the Black Death, oh. the Great Plague. Yeah. And it was still alive and they could caught it. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh. It was still, yeah. They were I didn't like, realise it could be. Yeah, yeah. Wow. How's your bubonic plague? Not great, mate. No, 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 Not feeling great. Not great. Your no. pandemic is different to my <laughs> pandemic. Uh, so the other one I brought in, um, talking about death, is <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, holding on the troubled life of Billy Kerr. Now, this is one that Ronan knows that I was sniffing at when it first came out. And well, I really there found was a it double interesting. Sniff going there was on. a double sniff. And then we started hearing bad things about it, but... Uh, if we're giving out shouts to retailers, Chaos Cards were having a, a bit of a sale and it was £8. And was I it thought, £8 for a reason? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I thought I will have a little schnifter. Uh, even if I get one or two games out of it, it's worth eight quid. So It's the time. I do want to sniff it. It's the time. Yeah, maybe, maybe. All these people have all this time on their hands at the moment, and we don't. <laughs> no, no. So, yeah, that's that's arrived in the house um, in the middle of my great game sale. Yes. Oh, that leads me on to something, actually, let me say. Cool. Oh, I thought you were going to finish off with them. Oh, no, but great game sale. So, obviously, these I've got stacks of games all around the place that I'm selling, and all of a sudden, three appear and shrink. I didn't think that had noticed. She noticed. <laughs> She's like, what the hell is that? <laughs> well... <laughs> The shelves were getting bare. <laughs> they were. They were. Um, yes, your game sale. So whenever we do a big game sale, one of us, we send photos of the whole lot to the other one and say, if you want any of these, claim them now. 
and I was able to claim games from Sean because he's were. so lovely. And at least one was in shrink. Honey Buzz? Yes. Because it's been getting good reviews? Yes, I've played it. And? Not, well, I thought we might review it. So okay, I won't say a word. Egizia, the newer one, the uh, shifts, shifting, shifting Sands. sands yes, I like yes. the original Egizia, I couldn't get anyone to play it with me. This now mixes it up, makes it more varied. Mm-hmm. And War of the Roses, which is now my turn to keep it for a while, because we played it <laughs> years it. ago. Loved it, but it, you need four yeah. players who were into it. I've also, I've just finished one book about War of the Roses from the Yorkist point of view. Right. And I'm now reading one all about Henry VI, who was the, for a lot of the War of the Roses, was a Lancaster. Lancaster yeah. one, yeah. yeah. Uh, but by Lauren Johnson, it's called The Shadow King. Amazing. Both these books are amazing. Now, I, thought, cool. I can't remember the name. I think The Brothers York was the first one, right. and this one is called Lauren, uh, Shadow King. Great, great books about the Water Roses. Good, so yeah. I was like, wow, this is the time to, to grab the game before it goes. I also, we just did the maths trade, the UK maths trade. Yes, you, you got, got a couple of games. Absolute heat. But you were shocked. I couldn't believe you were shocked. You I put up shocked. some brilliant games. Wow, okay. I've got 10 games in the maths trade. I'm a bit overwhelmed. Um, <laughs> the ones I'm most excited about are probably going to be Three Kingdoms Redux. We did the three-player top 10 a long time ago, and this was the game that mentioned to us most that we'd missed out. It's an amazing three-player game about the warring kingdoms in, uh, right. in China. So yeah, Never fancied it, but... Yeah, we'll, we'll see. This has become much more controversial in recent in the last couple of days, but legendary Buffy the Vampire Slayer... Oh, yeah, because it's just weird. Yeah, have you seen how many of the cast have come yeah, out? Yeah, they've all come out pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Michelle Trachtenberg, so Michelle Gellar, Chris McCartney. Chris McCartney's been doing more. it for years, hasn't she? But, yeah, but they're all okay. So I don't know if I can still enjoy the thing now, <laughs> but I, that's coming. One I think you might like, Barbarians the Invasion. You know what? Someone was selling it the other day on, on the forum that what we used to sell our games. Um, and I had a little shnifter. But I, wasn't, I didn't get in. You have got to be so quick in that. I didn't get in in time. I kind of almost got it with you in mind. <laughs> those are like the three most exciting ones of those ten. And a couple of purchases. One Kickstarter turned up is Journey of the Emperor which came from Mr. B Games. It's, it's again, actually set in, in Chinese history. But the the real point here is that it had been on, I think, the journey of the emperor itself, possibly under the hooves of the horses. <laughs> it got mushed, didn't it? <laughs> it got absolutely battered. <laughs> the, like, the outside was battered. I was like, maybe we were right. I opened it up. The inside was battered. I couldn't open the box. Have you seen um, Amazon sometimes have started sending out games just as they are with the stickers? Oh, yeah, they've been doing that for years. Oh, they are. I had one turn up, but it was perfect. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be devastated. I gave them a beak about it, though. I was like, this is no, no. But yeah, randomly they do that. But um, the contents are just cards and they're fine. Ooh. but they're going to send me a, another box. Okay. I kind of feel a bit bad about it. I'm like, no, you don't really know. You spend $20 in postage, just send me a box, but I, I thought yeah. I'd tell them anyway. Like, anyway, the other one I bought was Apocalypse Road, which is Thunder Road, the GMT racing game, which yeah. is like 90 minutes, two hours, but Mad, oh, yes. you Mad Max. This is when you asked my opinion and completely went a different way. Yeah, because you chose a terrible game with only white people in it, by the way, Last Aurora. Yeah. I gave it as an option. <laughs> and then I looked deeper into it and went, no, that's a terrible choice. I'm not getting it was that. the only one I'd heard of, so I'm like, yeah, that one. I climbed down now. I know what you were doing. 
Apocalypse Road is so it's got a simple sort of NASCAR racing thing where you're racing around and around, and around but yeah, you can yeah. attack each other and you score one point every time you do a lap but you also score one point every time you destroy someone else's vehicle like Death Machine or something yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but it's it's although it's GMT it's, it's supposed to be quite accessible so yeah. I'm quite looking forward to that lovely. that's all the ones that come into my collection lovely and that's us that is us we're on Amazon Podcast by the way I checked we are on Amazon we talked about it before oh. they only just released their podcasting in okay so if you're on Amazon Music, you type in the game pit, we'll come up. Oh, there you go. There's a thing. There's a thing that two of us can do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm following us. <laughs> uh, Sean, thank you so much for the wonderful episode. Ichabod, thank you so much. <laughs> great. Uh, great. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Next time, we're coming back with a top 10 from 10 years ago. Yeah. And we're, we're trying to get somebody else involved. We don't know who yet. <laughs> someone someone, there's someone might or maybe us. not or maybe not indeed. yeah it wasn't really worth mentioning there may or may not be another person with her uh, and then after that we'll be back to reviews uh, Sean see how quickly you can see us out well we're not doing the what, what we're on anymore so no, that's gone that's good so we email are... us at thegamepodcast at gmail.com oi, thanks oi, bye oi, <laughs> most important we are proud members of the Dice oh, sorry, Tower I forgot, Network yes. Would you... go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore email as Ronan just said the Game Pitch what? Podcast at gmail.com <laughs> Pop along, <laughs> pop along to our guild on Board Game Geek if you want to also contact us. We are on Twitter, Instagram. Podbean. Uh, no, 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 stop, you're ruining it. And iTunes. Kind of Facebook. Podcast. Kind of Facebook. Kinda, you're doing Facebook. Yeah, it still gets updated. Kind of Instagram. No, I do Instagram all the time. I do? I do. Well, I Not watch. that you pay any attention. I don't, that's right. I just do don't, Twitter. You that's just don't value me. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on The Game Pit. Music by E. Aaron. That's the most important. Bye 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 b